Hey guys, welcome back to the plant-based podcast, formerly the Vegan Coach podcast, but now I have rebranded and can be found at the underscore plant-based underscore coach on Instagram. So this is the place if you want to have some clarity, some education, and some confidence around planning a plant-based diet. Each week, I will have new episodes with guests ranging from friends, personal trainers, nutritionists, doctors, past clients, and with the goal of just helping you be a little bit healthier on your plant-based diet, answering the questions that you're probably thinking about, and giving you hopefully some entertainment and education along the way. If you enjoyed this episode or any others, please make sure that you listen to others and share them through social media um, so more people can be helped by this. Have a great listen and I will see you on the other side. Down, and that is the brand, if you ask me, which you might. Is the, yeah. There's a new brand of um, vegan formula. It's quite hard to get hold of in the UK, so you have to order it from France if you want to use it. Um, and oh, what's it called? Mandarol. I have remembered it, Mandarol. I I'm just going to find it business idea for me to start as it, vegan baby firma I think that's going to be amazing soon it's huge I don't if, if if anyone has got the you know the wherewithal and the the capital to start that up it will be huge yeah that is uh what I'm thinking all right we'll uh, do a little quick introduction I mean okay. I've kind of pressed record already but I can cut things out um how have things been since I saw you virtually in Bali and I was in Bali and you were back here. <laughs> Things are the same for me. Um, yeah. what I, I think, when was that? I don't even know when that was. Um, that was beginning of the year. I think you've done a retreat with Rich Roll in CNS. Oh, yes, yes, that's right. Well, yeah, that's it. That's what I've been doing. Um, what else have I done? Uh, I went to Canada with my family. Um, I've been doing loads of... Uh, I did a, I've contributed to a happy skin course with a happy pair. Yeah, that's right. But my big, my big passion is the happy kids course. That's going to come out hopefully by January. Okay. And is that basically exactly what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah. uh, And it's going to be run by the happy pair. So they're going to be able to hopefully get that course out to loads of people who want to have happy, healthy kids with like healthy plant-based food. So I'm, hugely excited about that that's a collaboration with them um so yeah that's that's going to be good um i was supposed to be going to america next month to learn more about an integrative health clinic and uh the amazing work of the farmer's footprint which is a no-till regenerative agricultural uh, non-profit but that's being postponed now till march i think um so that's going to be something to look forward to and VegMed. Oh my God, the VegMed conference last weekend. Oh, that was unbelievable. That's right. Yeah. You're a speaker there. Um, yeah. So for people who are listening and don't know who Dr. Gemma Newman is, she, Newman is, she has been on my podcast before. She's pretty oh awesome. She, she knows you yeah, you have. Right now. <laughs> yeah, I've been recording the whole time. Um, okay. I'll cut things in and out if I have to, but nothing. <laughs> people don't need to private life then there we go yeah. um but also yeah you've been on my podcast before and you are obviously a wealth of knowledge you not only walk the talk but 
you actually, you know, putting it into practice in your own practice as well. And you were yeah. here because I want to know more myself, but also I think a lot of people want to know how to uh, look after their children uh, in the best way possible, bring them up on a plant-based diet, bring them up um, vegan, and what things I suppose to look out for from, I guess, the beginning of being pregnant to, I guess, puberty. Um, because that's, you know, children and parents, parents are very protective of their children and they obviously always want the best for them. So I think it's a super important topic. It is a huge and important topic. And yeah, let's get cracking. I think pre-pregnancy to, to adulthood, that's a, that's, a, that's a big topic, but we'll do our best. <laughs> yeah, we can cover so, the key things. I, yeah, exactly. So I guess, I mean, I guess I can start out by reassuring anyone listening that a well-planned vegan diet is suitable for all stages of the life cycle. And the American Dietetic Association, the British Dietetic Association can both agree on that. Mm-hmm. And in fact, they have also been quoted as saying that pregnancy, um, having a plant-based diet in pregnancy has positive maternal and fetal health outcomes. So we don't need to worry too much about that as long as we know what we're looking for and making sure that we get all the nutrients that we need. As with any diet, any, any mum who's about to embark on a pregnancy is advised to be quite careful with the things that she's eating, make sure she's on a multivitamin. And interestingly, a plant-based diet will already, um, exclude naturally a lot of the foods that are potentially um, harmful to a growing baby so you want to avoid too much in the way of fish because if you're having a lot of that then you're going to be exposing the baby to heavy metals and pcbs and dioxins and microplastics um, so you're already avoiding that you're going to be wanting to avoid raw um, and undercooked meats you're going to be wanting to avoid raw um, and unpasteurized cheeses and milks so you're already doing a great job in cutting out yeah. the things you might want to avoid in pregnancy. Um, so yeah, just making sure before you get started that you're eating right, you already know that you've got a really lovely uh, mix of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, lentils, chickpeas, oats, nuts, seeds, herbs and spices. Uh, alcohol, best avoided for pregnancy. There's no real safe amount we've, we've found out. Um, Nicotine, caffeine, all these things can affect the way that the baby responds to stimuli after birth. So I would suggest to limit those. Things like things people might not think of, which I know is not strictly vegan, but just generally good tips for health. Um, aim to do things like antibacterials and paints and bleep, because they contain things like triclosan, which are not great for the baby. Um, microwavable plastics I would suggest are best avoided and also even something something quite straightforward like cat litter um, because cat poo can contain a certain uh, bacteria that can um, cause issues with a baby and um, what else it's um, quite an interesting one actually cat litter I know yes yeah, so if yeah. you've got cats get your partner to do the cat litter tray or make sure you wear gloves um, mm. Plastic bottles that have been heated in the sun. You just want to avoid all the sources of potential um, exposures to things that are not great for the baby. Even yeah. paracetamol, actually. I read, I read this study paracetamol. recently. Paracetamol, okay. Yeah. All through my early um, training, mm. we've always been very cautious about any medications in pregnancy because they're never tested on pregnant women. Um, yeah. But we 
always said that paracetamol is a good one because paracetamol is safe in pregnancy. It's got a long history of being used. But there was a study um, out of Edinburgh University that was published in the Environmental Health Perspectives Journal, which suggested that when a pregnant mum takes paracetamol, it could potentially reduce the amount of cells that later become eggs and sperm in their unborn baby. Yeah. So that, that was a hugely interesting study. I don't know if that's been replicated, um, but it proves to me that it's just it's just prudent to avoid as many medications as possible when you're making a little human. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was going to ask because um, we know antibiotics. Obviously, when you are a child, can have issues with your gut when you grow up. Is it the same as if you're a pregnant woman? Should you be kind of if you have if you can, can you should you be avoiding antibiotics as well? Yes, I think the good news about having a whole food plant-based diet is that you're intrinsically avoiding unnecessary antibiotics exposures through your um, and your and your dairy because you're not getting it from those bio-concentrated sources from these factory-farmed animals. Uh, but I wouldn't I wouldn't be in a position if I were pregnant to say, oh, I'll just take antibiotics just in case because I've got a cold and I just want to make sure that I get rid of it. No definitely as you say avoid antibiotics unless you do need them and if you need them it's okay um you just have to sort of get the balance right really between protecting your your own microbiome and making sure that you keep yourself healthy for your baby as as the baby grows so i think it's about taking a balanced approach to antibiotics we know that antibiotics have boosted the average lifespan of humans here by about i don't know 10 to 15 years so they they do a great job in some respects, but we have massively overused them and abused them. And that's not just us GPs prescribing them just in case. That's the majority of that is through animal agriculture, unfortunately. So yeah, definitely minimize unnecessary antibiotics, but don't be afraid if you have a genuine need to take them. Okay, so is there anything that a pregnant plant-based woman would need to look out for um, as opposed to if she wasn't plant-based. So I think it's clear that we need to distinguish between, you know, vegan and plant-based, of course, a plant-based whole foods diet is key. Is there anything else they need to keep an eye on? Yeah, I mean, whole foods plant-based diet is the most nutrient dense, I would say, of any diet pattern. Uh, plenty of folate, which is crucial for the baby's neurological development. Um, I think you just need to be mindful of making sure that you're getting all those nutrients. So loads of fresh fruit and veg, seven to 10 servings a day. If you, if you can grains, two or three servings a day, pulses, one serving a day, nuts and seeds, two to three servings a day. Um, I would suggest some routine supplements like B12, vitamin D and iodine. But to be honest, just a normal pregnancy multivitamin will probably contain the correct amounts that you will need. Um, I would say that um, the good news is that you're not going to necessarily be needing as much of the folic acid because um, I would still recommend the pregnancy multivit, but you're going to be getting natural folate sources with your diet. Um, so yeah, my main things to, to really emphasize with a plant-based diet would be to ensure that you're taking your vitamin B12 supplement, your vitamin D supplement, and iodine. Iodine is an interesting one. It should be in most multivits, so just double check. But it's actually, you know, it's, it's from the soil um, and British soil, certainly. I don't know. We've probably got lots of international listeners, but soil generally can be quite variable in the amount of iodine it contains. And in the UK, there's a condition called Lancashire neck, where you used to have a goiter in the neck because people were quite routinely 
iodine deficient um, here. So we started to use cow's milk as a way of supplementing the diet with iodine by supplementing the cows and also by using iodine to sterilize the milking equipment. Uh, so if we're not doing that anymore, it's important to get other forms of iodine, which you can do in a multivit, or I think that there are quite a few plant-based milks now that are catching on and beginning to iodine supplement. I know that Oatly, for example, will be supplementing their milks with iodine by the end of this year. Uh, they already supplement their chocolate milk, not that I'm recommending we all Ooh, go. That's so, chocolate milk is so good, their chocolate milk is so good. <laughs> um, but, um, and also, I mean, this, I suppose this, we'll get onto this later, but if you're looking for plant milks for a child, um, probably the best one in the UK at least would be the Alpro's growing up soy milk because it's the most nutritionally similar to uh, cow's milk product and it is again fortified with B12, Vit D, I think riboflavin and iodine. Uh, so as as many other dairy containing drinks are also fortified. So it's just that I think plant milk industry is catching up with what the um, dairy industry has been doing for a long time. Okay. Cool. So essentially, if you're trying to be as healthy as possible as the mother, then you're going to be okay, essentially. Yes, I think so. Like I said, I mean, the requirements do vary a little bit in the pregnancy. So um, protein requirements, for example, they, they will go up in the second and third trimester. So you're going to be looking for about 25 grams a day more, but you know as well as I do that there's plenty of protein in plant-based foods. So that's great. So making sure that they're having things like beans and edamame and lentils and wholemeal bread and pasta, wholemeal pasta, nuts and seeds, maybe when they have their morning smoothie, because first trimester, most women feel quite sick, right? Your main aim in the first trimester is really just to try and keep down some nutrients and avoid the nausea and the vomiting as much as you can. So you're not really, uh, I would advise pregnant mums in the first trimester to try and get their nutrients through things that are less likely to make them nauseated. So smoothies, maybe some soups, uh, cooked veggies, um, things that, that less, are less raw essentially, so that, that that nausea can sort of pass and they can still get some goodness into them, mm. fluid, some people say that sparkling water helps. I particularly found ginger really useful. Um, but yeah, so the first trimester, you're really aiming to get the nutrients in and you're not worrying too much about anything else. Um, in the second trimester, you're probably going to be increasing your calorie intake a little bit, but not much. You're definitely not eating for two. So uh, I'd say um, the most the most, in fact, that you'd increase your caloric requirements would be for breastfeeding. Even in the third trimester, you're probably only looking at about an average of 350 calories a day more, which actually isn't a great deal. Um, it's like one it's snack, right? One <laughs> yeah. smoothie snack, for me yeah. at least. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's really, it's not that much more. Um, but And when you're breastfeeding, it'll be about 500 extra calories a day. Um, so yeah i would I'd just be mindful of that you don't have to be sort of doubling up on what you're eating as you go in through the pregnancy um so yeah you should be okay. right. yeah cool so then obviously moving on to pregnancy of course there are two uh ways that are most commonly birth 
two common ways that birth happens, traditional and C-sections. I assume that if you can, you would go traditional. Can I, can I yeah. stop you there? I've, I've just had a thought. I should probably talk a little bit about iron. Many, yeah, I, want, I want to reassure women actually, because this is a really common thing. Iron deficiency in pregnancy, okay? This is common regardless of your dietary pattern. It's true to say that um, the iron stores can be generally lower if you're, if, you're, um, if you're deciding on a vegetarian or a vegan lifestyle and your iron needs will be double what you would normally need in pregnancy. So you're going to be going from about 15 grams to about 27 grams a day of, uh, sorry, milligrams of iron. But don't forget, when you're pregnant, your, your blood volume also increases. So you go through something called dilutional anemia, where um, you've got so much extra fluid and so much more blood pumping around your system, uh, about 50% more, that the amount of hemoglobin is uh, lower in proportion. So it's, it, looks like you're more, you, it looks like you're anemic when you're actually, you've got the same amount of blood cells. It's just that the volume of, of the fluid has increased. Um, so if you are one of the women who have been told, oh, your iron stores are low, you need to take an iron supplement, just take one. You don't have to think, oh no, you know, uh, is it because I'm vegan? Honestly, many, many omnivorous women will, will get low iron in pregnancy. So don't be afraid to take a supplement if you're advised to do so by your healthcare professional. <coughs> if you want to boost your iron containing foods, then Go for the leafy greens like kale and rocket, um, lentils, beans, tofu, tempeh, quinoa, you know, things like that, even like things like brown rice porridge or oatmeal, pumpkin seeds, pine seeds, pistachios, all that kind of stuff. That's really good for iron. Add vitamin C with your iron sauce so you're more readily absorbing it. So you could squeeze some lemon onto your salad. You can chop up some kiwi, berries, peas, whatever, whatever you want to eat, as long as it's yeah. something got vitamin C and avoid tea. Avoid tea coffee. Your... Yes. Mm. So there we go. Just just to be sure, I talked a little bit about iron, but yeah. Yeah. You want Which to is, about... actually, before you talk about that, you've reminded me of something else that I remember learning when I was at university. Diabetes when pregnant. Is it gestational diabetes? Gestational diabetes, yes. Um, so that's, that's going to be more common if you have a genetic tendency towards type 2 diabetes. And if you were previously um, gestationally diabetic, and um, also if you are um, a heavier weight when you start your pregnancy, these are all potential risk factors. Good news is whole foods plant-based approach to eating will be beneficial for gestational diabetes because it is also beneficial for insulin resistance um, which is really the main driver of gestational diabetes. So uh, that's the good news. Um, when you're pregnant, you won't be um, having quite the same treatments as you would if you were developing type two diabetes outside of pregnancy. You'd be, um, there'd be much more of an emphasis on diet control and insulin rather than taking oral hypoglycemics. Don't worry, just if you get a diagnosis, just think, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna really dial up my whole foods plant-based approach. And it's just my hunch because I haven't treated many women with gestational diabetes who are vegan, but I would suspect that it is perhaps precisely because I haven't treated any less common. Yeah, I imagine so. Isn't that great? Plant-based diet kind of ticks all the boxes. Um, so yeah giving birth traditional versus c-section i assume that traditional is always going to be best but 
um, what are the benefits of each, I suppose? So it's going to be dependent on the woman. Uh, a vaginal delivery has the benefit of providing the baby with your biome, your vaginal biome, your microbiome. Uh, in the later weeks of pregnancy, you begin to um, have some lactase digesting bacteria flourishing in the um, vaginal area, the birth canal, so that the baby can more easily digest your breast milk, which is unbelievable. Um, so yeah, I think there's lots of evolutionary advantages to vaginal deliveries, but the most important thing, of course, is a healthy baby and a healthy mummy. So if it turns out that you need a cesarean section, don't worry about it. Just um, you've got your healthy baby and make sure that you start them out early with um, loads of um, fiber rich foods and they'll still develop a healthy microbiome if you're giving them the right diet later in life and they haven't had them as many exposures to antibiotics. But um, yeah, it's just one of those things. It's, it's useful to know, I suppose, if you're taking a history of children that have things like recurrent ear infections, it's not uncommon for them to have been cesarean section born, bottle fed, had to have antibiotics in the labor or in, in the weeks after. They would probably be slightly more vulnerable in those early months and years, but it doesn't mean that you can't be healthy later on. So if that's you or if that's your child, please don't worry. That's good advice. So once the baby's born, kind of talk me through, I guess, the benefits of breastfeeding. How long should the baby be breastfed for, ideally? Um, and then, I guess, what are the steps to moving to, you know, solids and formula? Okay, so... I know that's a big question. <laughs> there's quite a few questions. <laughs> yeah. but if we if we if we talk about the birth it's a hugely emotional experience especially first time mums and you're going to be bonding with your baby uh, at that time so just be kind to yourself um take it easy uh sleep when the baby sleeps not so easy with your second or your third but usually a little bit more practiced by then um breastfeeding is great we are all told that breast is best but sometimes it's difficult for women and i I just want to acknowledge that uh, because we're all told breast is best. We know it, but um, that doesn't stop it being very difficult for some. And if you're isolated or you don't have the support you need, it can be less easy because it's painful. You know, it's actually something I never considered before my own journey with breastfeeding is it really, really can hurt. And if you've got the wrong latch early on, um, it's a bit like wearing it's a bit like wearing shoes that are the wrong size and you get blisters, right? And you just can't ever take those shoes off. You just never take them off. That's how it feels if you you know if you're starting out with a with a problem. So um, try and get the latch right early on, get the support you need in hospital before you go home. And if you're not sure, please don't be afraid to ask, get the midwives to help you, to show you, to tell you the details of the breastfeeding um, clinics. Uh, I don't know what it's like around the world, but I know that here in the UK, there are many um, breastfeeding support clinics that run almost every day in certain areas. So if you're really having problems, you just go down there, you ask them to look at your technique, you make sure you, you know, you, you're getting all the help you can. I can't overemphasize that. <laughs> I've been there myself because mastitis isn't fun. And that's another issue with uh, breastfeeding. Sometimes you can get mastitis, um, which is basically a blocked milk duct. Um, 
or several blocked milk ducts, which then um, forces the milk into the tissues of the breast, which causes inflammation and pain. Um, and you get sort of flu-like symptoms. Uh, so if a woman is breastfeeding and she starts to feel very unwell, like she's got the flu and she's got a sore area on the breast, it's probably mastitis. Um, so my advice to you, if that's you, is um, don't worry. Even if you need antibiotics, it's safe to feed your baby your breast milk and it's beneficial for you to keep breastfeeding, to drain the milk ducts as much as you can. Uh, and the baby will still benefit from your milk, um, even, even when you have an infection or you're on antibiotics. I would suggest that you invest in nipple shields um, or an electric breast pump. These are two very important pieces of kit because um, if you have a lot of pain and you don't want to keep going, then a good nipple shield will save you a lot of discomfort. I'll tell you a funny story, actually. And then I've got an interesting question before you, or after you tell me that funny story. Okay. So you, you go first. <laughs> you build up now. I'm a bit embarrassed. It's not that funny. But basically, <laughs> I, I asked my sister to go down to the shops to get me um, a very specific nipple shield. And she went down to the very well-known pharmacy. And she went up to the person there. She doesn't know. She doesn't have children of her own. She's younger than me. And she didn't really know. She'd forgotten what I'd asked her to get. <laughs> She went up to the cashier and she said, oh, um, excuse me, um, do you have any nipple clamps? <laughs> <laughs> and then she gave her this really strange look and she realised that's probably not what she should be asking at the pharmacy. So anyway, and an electric breast pump are really important because you want to give your boobs a break if you're having issues and it's quite nice to be able to pump. And, and once the baby is past that first um few days and weeks it's it's nice to be able to get them if you if you want to have a bit of um time apart or if you want your partner to be involved with feeding you can express of course you can express and then give the baby your milk through a bottle if you want to um which again saves you and gives you a bit of a break um but yeah breast milk is fabulous you've got the four milk which is like the drink and then you've got the hind milk which contains you know more of the fatty milk um and I'd advise women to go um, start on one side and then make sure the baby's had enough from one and drained it fully and then do a little bit on the other side. And then the next time they need a feed, you start on the side that you, that you, fin that you, you know, finished on. Okay. So um, if a woman can't breastfeed, um, I've heard that you can, can you go to donor milk? Is that such a thing? I think I've heard it somewhere else. So you can have someone else's breast milk. Is that, a good idea is that better than maybe going on to formula if you can't breastfeed yourself it will depend on the woman's preferences yes you can get donor milk and it's a good option because it's human milk so breast milk contains you know, obviously the right amount of nutrients for human babies so that would be a really great option um I listened to a podcast by a pediatrician in the US and she said that in the US it's become really popular to actually go back to what people used to do before there was any kind of formula and literally have these sort of informal <laughs> wet, wet nursing sessions with other mums that wanted to breastfeed. I have not heard of that. Um, that's, not something, that's not something that I've heard of happening here. Mm. And I guess that's something that from a professional standpoint, I can't advise because you don't know what um, 
infections or otherwise the woman would have but that's what people used to do isn't it people used to if they weren't able to breastfeed years gone by they used to have a wet nurse but yes i think milk donation schemes definitely are a thing i've um i've had friends that have donated to them and i've had patients who have used them um and if you're passionate about giving your baby breast milk and you can't breastfeed then it's a good choice for you um or you can go for um top up it depends because some people can pump if they can't feed especially if they've got inverters for example um and so they might want to use a sort of breast milk with formula top-ups i wouldn't advise anything other than breast milk or specifically formulated um, milk for babies um, in that first year really um, and then after that you can go on to blowing up milk so so the main options really would be um, breast milk or um, donated breast milk or a sort of plant-based alternative formula if you're vegan. Um, there's not many available, I'm afraid. But that's, a, that's a growing market. There is a French one available that you can buy from France and order in. Um, and uh, that, that's something that you could do. Or yeah you could you could go to normal baby formula until such time as the baby is one and then you go to a plant-based milk okay so basically breastfeeding up to about a year um maybe yeah, not I mean, full breastfeeding but diluted you could maybe dilute some of it with the formula that kind of stuff uh well well the world health organization says that you can breast it's beneficial to breastfeed for the first two years of life actually um Many, many women don't do that. Um, many babies lose interest in breastfeeding before that. Many women decide to breastfeed for many years after that, and that's okay as well. So I'd say in terms of exclusive nutrition, um, breast milk is the ultimate form of nutrition for babies up to the age of six months, for sure. Then after the age of six months, when you start weaning on solids, um, still breast milk should be the primary source of nutrients but it's just about letting the baby try different tastes different flavors different textures um but just remember that that breast milk is is still is still the sort of primary nutrient source before the age of one year of age after that it's really mix and match isn't it you wouldn't really be diluting like breast milk per se but you might you might be topping it up with other milks and after the age of one you can use um any of the other growing up milks and as i mentioned before fortified growing up plant milks are probably best yeah is there any plant-based milks to stay away from uh yeah i mean i think for, for young children lower than five i would stay away from rice milk um i think soy milk is the most nutritionally similar failing that then maybe oat milk um but just making sure that they've got their the issue i think sometimes with kids is that they can be a little bit picky with what they eat so you, you have to be mindful of that and make sure that you're that you're kind of getting them involved with the food and get them excited and help you know giving them loads of different tastes and textures to try um so yeah i'd say um that's that's the main thing to be aware of is that they they have different slightly different requirements because they're going to be full of energy they're going to be turning around they're going to be a bit more picky so making sure that they've got healthy fats in their diet I would not recommend a low fat diet for vegan children. Uh, they don't need it. Um, whole foods plant-based, yes, but don't be afraid to add fats in, things like olives or avocados or 
uh, nuts or seeds in the form of things like tahini or peanut butter or almond butter. Uh, these are going to be good sources of healthy fats. So yeah, that, that's, that's my main advice there. Okay. Is there any harm of having dairy when you are a young child? Like we obviously are now in a world where dairy is kind of the thing that you know, kids are brought up on as soon as they come off breast milk and formula. Is, is there harm to doing that or is it kind of like on the same neutral playing field as you know, having soy milk? Um, well, there are some genetically susceptible individuals. Um, there's about three studies I've read that link the exposure to cow's milk proteins in infancy uh, to the development of type 1 diabetes in those that are genetically susceptible. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I mean, that's, that's an interesting association. Um, but... I think dairy is probably, uh, again, in years gone by, we, we're in a Northern European heritage, um, especially in the winter months, we would have used dairy as an important source of nutrients in, in years gone by. But it is uh, a mammalian equivalent um, uh, source of estrogen. So there, there's going to be more, there's going to be more estrogens in cow's milk these days than you certainly ever find in a soy milk product, that's for sure. Um, and I think, yeah, I don't think dairy is as much of an issue for growing children as it is for adults because young children are um, growing fast and so it's not going to be so much of an issue in terms of long-term health um, but as I said there, there have been studies to associate um, the development of type 1 diabetes with dairy exposure um, and we don't need it because obviously we're not baby cows so but yeah it's yeah. It, there's, there's not so much data around children's health and dairy because as I say, they grow fast and they're designed to respond to in the first couple of years. Yeah. So when I was younger, I had a lactose intolerance. How does, I guess, how does that develop among children and well, any other intolerances as well? Yeah. I mean, most, most of the world is lactose intolerant. Um, there's, there's a, there's a proportion of, like I say, most European heritage people have developed the ability to tolerate lactose later in life because of our um, sort of long history of drinking dairy where other cultures have not. Um, but now I think the main thing you're asking me about other intolerances um, and with relation to plant-based diets. Well, I or, think, you know, we have a lot of people growing up now that have, you know, uh, I guess intolerances to so many different foods, and I think we can, you know, pinpoint them back to a time that maybe they had antibiotics, or maybe they were um, delivered by C-section, or a combination of all these different things. Is there anything that, you know, if a mother has an intolerance to something and they're worried about maybe passing it on because they have a similar gut microbiome to their child, that they can do to kind of reduce the risk and reduce the chances of that happening? Right. So each of us has a unique microbiome and the baby won't have the same microbiome as the mum. Uh, the baby, young babies and young children have a very different kind of microbiome to adults too. They tend to um, do better if they have less variety actually in their microbiome milieu, whereas adults uh, variety is key to health. Uh, it seems like you know, the more beneficial microbes, the better and the, the more different types, the better. So um, 
things like nut allergies, for example, um, we used to advise people to avoid nuts in pregnancy if they had a partner with a nut allergy, um, but they don't need to do that. That's, that's not the advice anymore. Clearly, if you yourself have a nut allergy, then you will avoid nuts yourself. You don't want to develop an allergic reaction. But um, avoiding nut exposure in childhood is, is not something that is recommended. Um, if your child has developed a nut allergy, then again, you don't expose them to nuts. The same with any kind of allergic exposure, but you're absolutely right. We are now living in an environment where there are many more people who are developing allergies and intolerances. And my opinion is that that is fueled by our excessive use of antibiotics, our excessive use of pesticides, and our excessive um, refining of nutrients. So in order to develop a, like for example, you know, we've got gluten intolerance, um, which is becoming much more common. Celiac disease is also becoming much more common, but even non-celiac gluten sensitivity is through the roof these days. Um, and we weren't all intolerant to gluten um, in years gone by. Um, so in order to have an intolerance, you have to have um, a susceptibility and an exposure so we've all had the exposure every day probably for a long time, but the susceptibility develops through um, a, um, a disruption of the tight junctions of the gut. And that can happen for a variety of reasons. Most commonly it happens because of courses of antibiotics or like I say, pesticide exposure, um, uh, saturated fats as well actually can, can cause um, lipopolysaccharides from bacterial cell walls to leak through the tight junctions of the gut. So there's loads and loads of different potential reasons why we would be more susceptible to these um, intolerances. So the best advice I can give to any new mum is to give the baby all the different kinds of healthy foods that she can um, and um, minimise the exposure to things that could cause um, sensitivity so antibiotics and pesticides um, and things like that yeah yeah okay cool so if uh, a mum is looking for the ideal formula obviously there is that only I think that one vegan brand what makes up a good formula um, you know for a growing baby well it like needs to be the nutrients and everything yeah, it needs to be the most nutritionally similar to breast milk. That's, that's really the, the ultimate aim, which is why it's not advised for any women or men or, <laughs> or anybody to make up their own plant milks for their baby. Do not try to make your own mixture. Um, it's, it's associated with real problems for the baby. This is, this is an area where um, there's not much choice for vegan parents in the UK. So um, like I said, breast milk, um, or, or uh, that this one brand that I know of from France uh, that they can get hold of or uh, donation schemes or cow's milk formula until they're, you know, of an age one where they can start taking an alternative. Um, so, so, I mean, you're going to be starting to wean probably when, when they're around six months. The main thing to look for is that they're able to sit up uh, independently, that they're getting curious about foods, um, that they're not doing something called tongue pushing when you provide them with like, food options. They're not sort of pushing it out with their tongue. Um, and then so that's when that's when to start introducing them to different flavors and tastes. And you can give them a you know, new flavor or taste every, every one or two days. Pureed vegetables, I think, is a great place to start because you don't want to get their sweet tooth started too young. So 
give, give them the pureed veg, they love it. It's such a new experience for them. So between sort of seven, seven to nine months, you'll be looking at things like, you know, mashed banana, soy milk, um, mixed in, uh, pureed lentils, rice, cereals, uh, loads and loads of veggies of all varieties that you know, preferably sort of pureed or mashed. If you want to do finger feeding, so like baby led weaning is a great idea. You can do that. They tend to need to be a little bit older for, for baby led weaning because you know they need to be able to sort of chew rather than yeah. just enjoy the sort of texture purees. Um, but yeah, so baby led weaning, you're probably going to be getting getting onto that sort of nine months ish more more around seven like sort of eight nine months and they'd be having things like you know finger foods um tofu and steamed carrots and stuff like that um just be careful I and mean, basically they'd be they'd be eating the same as you with the finger foods you'd be giving them the same as you make but i would just be mindful of the sugar and salt salt content of the food because um yeah. you might put salt in yours and it's not great for a baby to have salty or sugary foods um but yeah things like nut butters avocados lentils pureed olives um sounds like a fun challenge to as a parent yeah. to like to like see what the baby can have today and what they're going to spit out and how you can make things taste good and that kind of thing so it sounds like a fun challenge it is it's fun it's a bit daunting for any parent i would say actually whatever your dietary preference i remember with my first baby thinking oh you know what am I, what am I going to make him and what what will he like and actually just try to enjoy it any kind of change in life just think to yourself well you know what they don't need to get their primary nutrients at that age from food they've still got their milk that's where they're going to get most of their nutrition from so it takes the pressure off you're just giving them tastes and flavors new things to try and that makes it more fun rather than thinking oh, they've got to eat this um yeah. just sort of you know be, be a bit more relaxed over it um essentially um yeah and as they get older keeping the fun in the food i would say absolutely you know, dinosaur sandwiches or <laughs> avocado cars or and feeding the choo-choo train into the mouth that's what yes, i remember maybe, when i was yes. younger when i was younger my parents used to tell me that broccoli would make me tall like a tree so whenever we ate Broccoli would pretend we would be growing as a tree, so we're That's very really good at we're very good at eating broccoli. <laughs> good, I mean, broccoli is one of the best foods ever. The cruciferous vegetables, so it's amazing. Yeah. So, um, going back to obviously them growing up now, then comes more of a practical element, especially if you're bringing up your child vegan, and you know they're starting to go to school, and everybody around them probably is not vegan they're going over to the friends places what have you kind of learned is a good kind of practical way to address maybe other concerned parents because you know there are other parents that think you know come bring up a child vegan is not a good way that kind of thing of course you're a doctor so you probably you know they probably respect your opinion and your education a lot more than just someone else that's not so what's kind of like some practical tips that they can kind of do that is going to kind of just reinforce that they've made the right decision? Um, it's tough out there at the moment. I think it, it's getting easier, but um, how, to, how to handle it? I think it depends. If you're, if you're an ethical vegan and you, you, know, you have strong opinions about making sure that your child only has vegan food, 
then you will have to be prepared for making sure that you're taking things to parties in case they haven't made something that they can eat. Um, so kids' parties is the biggest area of potential difficulty. Um, I mean, my strategy is to explain that you know the child is um, vegan um, and, if they, and ask if that's okay, if they have any ideas about what they want to make and not to worry if they don't because I can bring something along. And they're usually really accommodating. They're oh, actually, okay, no, I have some ideas or you know, this is what we'll, we'll make. Is that okay? And they say yes. So you have to plan in advance a little bit. Um, but on the day, um, from my personal experience, I've said to my sons, you know, look, if there's something that you really want to eat, it's up to you. Um, but if you decide not to have whatever it is, then we'll have something at home good. Or we can have even more of that thing at home, like the birthday cake, for example. Um, yeah. that's, that's, the, that's the most tempting thing at any kid's party, of course. Um, so I've said to you know, my sons, I've said, you know what, if you want the birthday cake, you can have it. Um, and uh, if you decide that you don't want it because it's not vegan, we will make sure that you can have a bigger piece of cake when you get home. And Good idea. Good idea. I think yeah. communication is key, right? Alongside with obviously your own child, but with the parents that are hosting the party. Um, yeah. Because it's not really fair that you turn up to drop your kid off and then tell the parent that your kid's vegan. Like, obviously, give them time in advance so they can, you know, either prepare something themselves or you can, you know, bring something with them. Yeah, I mean, that's that makes plenty of sense because otherwise you put the parents of the party, the party parents in a bit of a difficult position. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and also it gives your child the autonomy to make that decision because, you know, at that age, when, the, when you're at kids' parties, they'll have an understanding of what it means and why you're doing things differently from most people. And they may have their own opinions about whether they want the cake or whether they don't want the cake. And you have to keep talking to them about that. Um, because once you start to enforce those kinds of um, rules when they when they're old enough to start sort of questioning um, then it, it, it's human nature to start to resist so that's why it's always important to, to have open conversations honest conversations and give them the autonomy and nine times out of ten if they understand your logic um, they'll feel this just as passionately I'm, I'm in my own family, that's the case. Um, but who knows what the future holds, of course, but keeping the communication open is key. Yeah. Speaking of communication, have you seen the new Tesco's ad with the girl? I have. I think that's so lovely. I really loved it, actually. What did you think? Well, I, yeah, I obviously heard about it before I saw it. I heard about it that it was an ad that the Farmers Association or whatever were complaining about because it demoralises meat or something and you know i think when i saw it i thought that was a very probably a very common conversation that is happening in a lot of households at the moment um and a lot of probably non-vegan households because you know kids i think understand inherently that animals and you know animals not necessarily food and we kind of like uh, as an omnivore kind of society think okay now we eat animals so yeah i think it was a very common sense ad i don't think there was anything that people should be offended at all by it uh, i think it's kind of a perfect ad for the time that we're living in at the moment uh, so yeah, yeah i agree I, I when i saw the ad where the where 
yeah, the dad's, the daughter, how does it go? The daughter says, Daddy, I, I don't want to eat animals anymore. And he says, oh, I love meat, but I love my daughter more. And he swings yeah. around and has his sausages out. I thought it was just lovely. And yeah. it's a very similar, very similar conversation to what I've had with my oldest son. And you're right. I think that kind of conversation is happening up and down the country. Um, and some parents don't take it too well because they've got their own emotional um, uh, links to certain kinds of food. And they've, they've grown up believing that that's okay. But children, say they're much more connected to animals because they've had books about animals that they've been talk, you know, talking about since day one, you know, the farm animals and how lovely they are and all the films that personify animals. Of course, children are going to be far more attuned to empathy, essentially, at that, at that age. Um, my oldest son was um, asking me about where chicken came from. And um, I explained, because we were collecting eggs at the farm, and I explained mm. that it came, it, it came from chicken uh, muscle. And he said, how do we get the muscle? And I said, well, you have to kill the chicken. And you know, he said, how do we kill the chicken? <laughs> and I, I didn't like that conversation because I didn't really know. I didn't know anything about it. So I said, oh, I think maybe we slip the... Uh, we Go ask your dad. <laughs> Go ask your dad, he'll tell you. <laughs> exactly. Get a knife or maybe a stunner. I said, to yeah. be honest, I don't know. And he, he, the look on his face, he said, I don't want to eat chicken. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, I think those conversations are important. Um, I guess it depends on the age of the asking as well. And, you know, I've heard a lot of stories where you might have that conversation with your child, but then your child then goes to school and, you know, tells someone else's kid, and that ends up with an angry parent because your kid is just expressing their conversation, their feelings, but that might piss off another parent because of their own beliefs and everything else. So, it is one of those areas that is, I think, quite, you have to be quite careful, I think. You're right. You're absolutely right. And my, my, my oldest son is a mini activist, unfortunately, which does, <laughs> or fortunately, fortunately yeah. I should say. Uh, but it, yeah. does, it does mean that there are some difficult conversations because he is so passionate. And he's, uh, he's of an age now where um, he's having those conversations with other children and they're saying, well, that makes sense. I want to be vegan. And then they're going home. Yeah. <laughs> and their parents are saying, What's that? What have you been uh, <laughs> talking to? So yeah. it's, it's, it's difficult to navigate these sensitivities, but it's, um, it's a changing world and um, it's, it's good to open up this conversation. Absolutely. Um, so before we go, because I know it's getting late, I just wanted to ask one final question about, you know, growing up children, puberty, you know, we grow quite quickly through that age cycle. And we've been conditioned, obviously, that protein you need, calcium you need for strong bones. Is there any special considerations that growing young adults going through puberty need, um, you know, to be mindful of, apart from obviously whole food plant-based diet? Um, well, I think not really. I think, yes, you, you, we all go through these growth spurts and it's important to make sure that you're eating enough. So if you've got a healthy um, plant-based diet and you're getting hungrier, then you eat more. Um, uh, yeah, th there's not really anything. I mean, I suppose you're thinking about protein requirements if you're building muscle. But to be honest, it's more around the extra testosterone that's going through the system of the adolescent. So, um, yeah, just making sure that they have plenty of the plant-based protein-rich foods if they feel like they want to eat their 
muscle production and we know that that's really easy to do with whole foods um, just making sure I think that the main things to be to be sure about is making sure that you've got your calcium requirements sorted um, which is from things like broccoli and almonds and like almond butter butternut squash leeks fortified and milks as well fortified milks um, mm. um, kale and as I said before um, things like iron rich foods again we're going through the same foods really isn't it it's kale yeah. lentils beans <coughs> Just those kinds of foods um, and uh, people recently there's been headlines about choline I don't know if that's something people want to talk about but we can make choline in the liver uh, it's an important macronutrient but we also get it through food and if you want a plant-based source of choline again the cruciferous veggies they're good for everything aren't they um, yep. kidney beans, quinoa, peanuts, soy some seeds, all those kinds of foods, they've got choline in them as well. And you don't want too much choline, which is, you know, when, you, when you're eating animal products, then you might get too much of it because then it's metabolized by gut bacteria into um, potentially toxic metabolites that can increase your risk of heart disease. Is that TMAO? Is that how that kind of yeah. comes about? Yeah, that's exactly right. So you're oh. eating. Ooh, how did I remember that? Yes, good, well done. So you're eating, yeah. eating carnitine and choline-rich foods um, from animal sources, then you're promoting the growth of um, carnitine and choline um, uh, eating bacteria, which produce trimethylamine in the gut. Then it gets converted in the liver to trimethylamine oxide, and that is toxic to the blood vessels, increases risk of heart disease, kidney disease, uh, not good news, causes oxidative stress. So there's always a flip side to these things. Yeah. Okay, cool. Is there anything else that you think is worth mentioning to wannabe mothers, early mothers um, that we haven't covered? Um, sure. Yes. I think it's probably worth checking out my website because I've got um, some links on there to nutrition guides for kids between the ages of zero and five. Um, I've got links to... Um, there's a really nice um, healthy eating guide where you, where if you're weaning, you can actually see visual pictures of, of different kinds of foods and what to give, that, what finger foods to try and what kind of things to put on the plate, which is really handy for, for, for new parents if they want to know exactly what to give um, through each stage between the ages of zero to five. So check out the website, gemmanewman.com for that. Um, and there's also some written information about specific dietary and nutritional requirements, which we've obviously discussed, but if you wanted to get written sources of that. Cool. And what is your Instagram again so people can find you? Oh, yes. Uh, Plant Power Doctor. Plant Power Doctor. What a name. Um, <laughs> well, I'm going to let you go to bed because you probably have a busy day tomorrow, as do I. Thank okay. you so much for taking the time to have another chat to me. And I also realized that we are going to both be at Revolution in a month, so we can actually meet in person. Oh, that's fantastic. Wow, cool. Yeah, I did I'm, a little Revolution takeover this evening. So. Uh, yeah, I'm actually supposed to do one of those as well because I am hosting the health panel, which you might be one of the panelists on maybe. So I will be asking some questions again. I actually don't know who's on the panel, but they just said, or asked if I can do the health and wellness panel. So it might be the fitness one, but it might also be the one that you're on. 
I'm not too sure. They, they've, asked, they've asked Josh Cullimore to host the one that I'm on. I think it might, it might be different. Dr. Josh. Yeah, maybe I'll be the fitness one. Maybe I'll be the, maybe I'll be the fitness one. Last to see you there. It'll be lovely to see you in person. Mm-hmm. I'm a real person, not just a face on the screen. Yes. All right. Well, enjoy your evening. Thank you so much. And I will see you then. All right. Thank you. I'll figure out how to turn this off because I'm using my phone. <laughs> and that's all for today, guys. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. Of course, we'll see you next week. If you have questions or want to find out more information about working with me, check out my Instagram at thevegan underscore coach, my website, thevegancoach.org, or just check out my Facebook page. Have a great day and see you next week.